Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. And we are recording. Drew Meredith, got to turn this thing on silent. True or false? Are you going to future-proof? True. True, future-proof. Looking forward to it. What is future-proof? It is a festival for financial advisors based in Huntington Beach, Los Angeles, run by a group called Ritholtz Wealth Management and in partnership with a group called Advisor Circle. I think, yep. which I think is quite similar to the Inside Network, as in bringing advisors and fintechs and all these kind of groups together and try to help educate and push the industry forward. Mm-hmm. Cool. Morgan Housel's speaking. I know that much. Um, good fun. Oh, yes, that's excellent. Yeah. Should do, try, to, try to do a hookup. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, hey, will you be joining us? Well, that's a question. I'm, I'm probably over the fence, to be honest. Like I'm, prob- I'm thinking pretty strongly about it because I'm thinking if we go over to the States and whatever, there's some great guests there. Like just at that event, you've got Ben Carlson, Mike Batnick, Barrett Ritholtz. So who knows? Might should reach out. Should see if we can hook up with those fellas and see if they can depart some of their wisdom on the Dear Australian Investors podcast. Listener. Uh, anyway, from our hotel room, probably. <laughs> hotel room. Yeah, because all the hotels are f- um, selling out. So, twin share. Yeah. Tw- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, where we talk, take a look at uh, what's going on in the financial markets. Every Saturday morning, seven a.m., we answer your questions. You can send your questions in via the show notes. It says, "Ask a question," just like the Australian Investors Podcast. And as you go through the automated form, art. Asked to speak to Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, Esquire. Uh, we're recording here with Drew Meredith, CFP, stands for Certified Financial Panther. Panther. Yep, that's right. And he is a financial planner based here in Melbourne, but services clients right around Australia. Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, Esquire, is his uh, alter ego who appears and occasionally makes comment on interest rates and similar type of things. I'm Owen Rask. You can find us uh, in the show notes. So, looking at some results this week, Drew, uh, plenty of good updates. It's confession season uh, for some and for others. It is a good confession. There's a few companies, RPM Global, out with some good 
uh, numbers. I'll touch on that in a little bit. Net worth out with some good numbers. Kathy Mandu, not doing too well. Um, so, uh, Kat Mandu did come out with an increase Kathy in Mandu. sales. I thought that was you going straight to a question. <laughs> Kat Mandu came out with a good uh, set of numbers, but did say that trading conditions have weakened materially due to cost of living pressures. I think he's in this massive barbell in retail at the moment. Mm. And it, and it's it's not clear. It's not just a low cost. It's not just a luxury that are winning. It is very niche and very product and, and brand driven, it seems. Yeah. That, um, you know, another outdoor wear provider could be killing it. But Kathmandu's, I think they said, they were, was it 26% down or something on last year? Yeah. I'm just going to bring up the actual report. Uh, sales were expected to be 1.1 billion compares to 978 last year. Uh, it's going to be a record, uh, strong sales growth from all brands, including Oboz, Ripkill, and Kathmandu. It was a weak start to it was a weak winter start, trading. Yeah, to the winter trading. It said increased cost of living pressures, softening consumer sentiment, and has been more challenging. Uh, it has. It warned that it has experienced a slower start to the winter trading period while also cycling against its best ever winter season performance last year. So that's from Jazz Harrison on Rust Media. Um, yeah, companies come a long way off. Some of these retail shares will eventually be quite interesting, I reckon. Not saying Kathmandu in particular, but some of them, there'll be something in amongst all of those that will be quite interesting longer term, I reckon. So we're kind of spoiled for choice in retail, aren't we? There are a lot of retail options. Yeah. And a lot of it falls into small caps outside of West Farmers. There isn't much of real scale. No. JB um, Hi-Fi is probably pretty close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we've got a lot. Go, so, down, go down to your, your uh, shopping center and keep an eye on who's going to what stores and who's actually buying things. Yeah. JB Hi-Fi is always busy. Yeah. Near me. Like all of the ones that I go to anyway. They're always busy. They're always pumping. They get me with the records. Like I think I used to buy really? records for five or ten bucks and now it's like 60 bucks an LP <laughs> or a vinyl. <laughs> Do you have one of those? Do you have an original? Like, um, no, I had to buy a new... Uh, right, New okay. vinyl player. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, that were all the rage a couple margin. years ago. Like you used to pay 30 bucks for a CD, now you're paying 60 bucks for a vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> Does it sound as good? Yeah, it sounds incredible. Okay. Um, well, while we're on the topic, RPM Global uh, come out and software sales are booming. You might remember RPM Global because we talked about it a bit. I remember that we first spoke about it here on the Australian Investors Podcast way back in 2020 when the shares were about... 80 or 90 cents. I think they're about $1.70 now or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I also, this is one of my original recommendations for members of Rask, actually, Drew, um, in a, at a much lower share price than that. So I'm pretty happy to see it. Uh, operating EBITDA, they think, is going to be around $15 million. Credit to you. Credit to me. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, that it compares to a market cap of around $200 million. Subtract the $35 million in cash. You've got an enterprise value of around about 160 odd. Uh, and $15 million of operating EBITDA. Drew's got something in his eye. That's fantastic. No, someone, you saw what was happening before yeah, you walked in. someone was plucking your eyebrows. Just because this is an audio-only podcast, we're obviously very, there's very important matters. Um, so, very good update from RPM Global. Shares are quite a wh- bit down. You know, I actually think, Drew, that RPM Global is one of the best software companies on the entire ASX. Oh, I thought you were going to say on the earth. On the, on the earth. Under the earth, <laughs> maybe. because they do mining software, but um, yeah, I think it's one of them. I think in ten, in five or ten years, we'll be talking about that, provided it doesn't get taken over, and provided Richard Matthews is still at the helm. I think we'll be talking about that, like we talk about zero or Altium today. 
So that's what I think. And it's a it's my prediction. And it's a two I think it's two hundred mil. I shouldn't just put numbers out in a thin air. I projected before, but I'm pretty 387 sure. Three hundred eighty seven mil. Three hundred eighty seven mil, is it? Yep. Okay, right. So uh, where was I getting two hundred from before? Uh, must be free float or something. Uh, so 387 mil, subtract the 35 in cash. It's a pretty good uh, business. Still a little bit exy as it transitioned to more subscriptions, but I really, really like the business. Uh, net wealth came out. Lots of good progress, lots of flows, lots of market movements. But one thing in there was um, the, the custodial assets. Around about $6 billion, if I'm not mistaken, Drew. So the custodial assets, got it here. Uh, funds under advisement uh, gross inflows of 6.2 billion for the June quarter, an increase of 1.6 billion over the prior period. Solid. So what this basically means, if I'm not mistaken, and Drew, you're a um, financial advisor, so you might be able to fill us in a bit here, but this is basically an attempt by NetWealth, which creates the software that financial advisors use to manage client portfolios. This is an attempt by NetWealth to capture some of the investments that investors might make that aren't, for example, on the stock exchange, like non-custodial assets. Is that what it is? I feel like that's what it is. It says record custodial inflows of $6.2 Oh, sorry, record but custodial. Non-custodial would be exactly that. So when you get a platform, generally you're using that platform to take custody or to, to manage your investments because that gives you the benefit of scale, the benefit of no paperwork right, right, right. And, and all held under the same custodian. You can have your own HIN, but the HIN is technically in the name of the custodian then in the name of yourself. Mm-hmm. But that is one part of their business that's growing. So having non-custody assets. So if we hold, as a company called Arrow, you probably know that we've had yeah. which is unlisted managed fund, but being able to report on that through the platform so we don't have to run separate systems to do that, uh, I think is a growing part of their business. Um, Do you guys use net wealth? Uh, we have we're registered with them, but not not broadly at the moment. We know uh, Matt and Michael Heine from twenty years ago, right when they started net wealth. We helped. We were. I think we trialed some of their accounts back in the day as well. So, oh right, lovely family. Yeah, um, and they obviously compete with like Hub and these types of things. Yep. Um, hub being a pretty big player in the space as well. Anyway, um, really impressive business, really good business in a competitive market, but also doing exceptional things. I reckon that custodial will just be their superannuation, their, pro- their key products. Yeah, right. Okay. But the non-custodial has gone from uh, 33 million to 126 million yeah, it's only in six months. Pro- yeah, it's only so a new product. Quadrupled quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting part of the business. And I think it's almost a defensive move as well, to be honest, because obviously it stops switching off the platform from advisors who can't maybe manage m- multiple accounts. But also it could be, I-, I thought it could be like private market style stuff as well, but I could be wrong. It definitely is. Like it, they'll try and report on everything they can that they can get data on and make it easier. Essentially what they're doing is creeping into Iris's yeah. and X-Plan's market where they're becoming more similar to a CRM, so a client relationship management system. Yep. Whereas uh, the way we run our uh, advice firm at the moment is that we have Iris as the centerpiece with all data coming from other providers into it. Um, right. Gives Iris a monopoly yep. or a near monopoly. I think 62% of financial advisors use it. Oh, really? Uh, but that's, and I think there's different strategies from different platforms about how they become more useful to advisors. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, that's um, some bottom-up stuff. What about top-down? What's going on in the world of Andrew Derrimuth over there? Oh, nothing to see here. (laughs) 
Phil Lowe I think, delivered uh, some remarks, I heard. I was I was about to go to bed and had this giant smile on my face <laughs> on, uh, was it last night? I think it was last night. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and like, well, what's that smile on your face, Drew? It's US inflation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Here, here we go. So, US inflation. Yes. For June. Yes. Drop to? Three. Three percent. Wow. Question. What's the Federal Reserve's target rate? Two to three percent. Huh. I think it's the blue one. Oh, is it? yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> They're actually predicting three point well, forecasters. I don't. I don't say experts anymore. I say forecasters. Forecasters. Quotation yep. marks. Uh, we're actually predicting three point one. So it was further, even further lower than that. Albeit not much. Uh, so how far do you reckon we are behind seeing something like that? They say it's going to be 2024, 2025. The thing is we've only just released our – only started using our monthly inflation data. I think that we only started that this year. So mm. it's always been quarterly inflation data. And we've got the big one, Evan Lucas was on my Instagram last night for some reason saying <laughs> 27th of July is when the quarterly data comes out. The quarterly data is always more powerful. Yeah, I think there's a massive chance it happens uh, here too because, uh, and this is not trying to predict anything, inflation is a point-to-point measure. If you remember last year, all the price rises happened in January through June and now you're comparing June to June. You're comparing high prices to less high prices. You don't have to say low prices. So naturally, your inflation rate is going to fall. The, qu- the big question is where it goes from here. Yeah. whether it continues to peter along the current level or whether some of these stickier, so I think core inflation is still at 5% and whether those uh, costs continue to kind of increase or or stay at current levels. Mm. But bond yields fell 4.1 to 3.8%, so markets less less worried about uh, interest rates going up and the NASDAQ outperformed, I think gained something like 1.3%. Mm. Interesting. Mr. Dermot, <laughs> Dr. Dermot, sorry, I might say. Um, Not that it's all about uh, inflation. But, no, but um, there was some other news out of the uh, RBA this week, which was quite interesting. Still waiting for the call, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil, uh, give uh, Dr. Andrew Dermot a call if you want to call in. The, I think it's the treasurer. Yeah, if you want to call in the, the big dogs. So I think we've aligned with the Federal Reserve. Philip Lowe suggested we're going to cut from 11 meetings to eight. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, right. So part of the big review that happened, which is separating yeah. the boards, putting new teams in, was actually cutting the number of meetings. We mm. meet every month apart from January, January yep. uh, to eight a year, which aligns with basically every other central bank in the world. Kind of makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah. Which and we're still waiting with bated breath for the Treasurer Chalmers to – I just got a Simpson reference from Chalmers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, He's set to announce, I think, at any time uh, who who the new RBA governor will be for the next seven years. Yep. Fascinating. It's hard to see. Other than- Poor uh, Philip Lowe continuing. Other than yourself, who else do you think will- I would love to see Guy DeBell. Yeah? Uh, Having kind of read and followed a lot of his work, he was always the deputy to Lowe and he was almost always the dissenter. If you, if you look through, he was always the one with a contrarian or an opposite opinion. Uh, and I do believe he studied with Bill Mitchell. Ah, so it's a, okay, the Illuminati. Not, <laughs> not that he is uh, an MMTer, but the fact that- MMTer, what a dirty word. <laughs> the, the fact that you have, you've 
philosophically considered the philosophically, the, philosophically the, the the multiple approaches to monetary policy, not that you know the single blunt tool. So. Uh, and a bit of a wider experience base than what it looks like on the rest of the board. Sorry, RBA board. Mm. Can't, you can't defame a <laughs> central <laughs> bank. <can you? laughs> I don't know. Let's go with no. Um, yeah, well, interesting. So, 27th, says Evan. According for the next inflation data. Yep. It could have been like a, an avatar or something. And you get the forecast is coming out shortly before and we'll have a pretty good idea of what it won't mm. be. Before that. <laughs> yeah. But so, this would, uh, if it, imagine, imagine it, okay, just, I want you to, Play out a scenario in your head for me. Inflation next month, like this month with the quarterly, it comes in at, I don't know, let's go crazy number. Let's go like 4%. Yeah. Then July, uh, July's data shows, like monthly data shows, 3%. Is your, and unemployment starts to rise. Is your, are you still in the game? Yeah, I mean, unemployment. Slightly rising. Rising. And it's hard to slow unemployment once it starts. And interest rates, are, they're not going to, I mean, the impact of interest rates will continue even as they start to cut interest rates as well. Yeah. We still don't know what's going to happen to the property, to property market. And me and Jamie keep talking about, we did our um, uh, monthly update this week. And literally any person who's bought a house in the last two years is underwater. Mm. Their house will be worth less than what they paid for it. And their mortgages would have gone up by like almost doubled, if not more. In the last two years, there's so much potential pain still sitting there. Mm. Um, so, I'm running out of time. <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh, and it would require something significant occurring to get a real cut uh, before the end of the year. Uh, but that's still, this is the whole point of diversification, isn't it? That you can have a view, just don't bet everything on that view. <laughs> so, for those of you that may be new to the Australian Investors Podcast, welcome. Uh, we did, well... Um, Drew, a.k.a. Andrew Derrimuth, created uh, a forecast late last year to say that interest rates would fall in 2023. He's currently... Uh, it's gone against him. It's gone. To the, to the tune of three rate changes up. So... <laughs> but in his fairness, he did say that they only have to be cut, not lower, cut. So... Uh, there's potential. There's still, if there's fewer meetings, so that might be a bit harder. <laughs> so, so you know, start from next year, not from this year. Yeah. So, tell us more. What good, else is what? It, good point. What else is on your radar? What else on my radar? Uh, everything's been happening this week. So, I mean, you can stick with this inflation story, and we might put a link in the show notes to a. Did you read the article from Victor Schwetz? No, I did not. So, a bit of a- uh, It actually covered in the financial review this morning mm -hmm. as well. What do you say? Immaculate disinflation? What does that mean? You know, the immaculate conception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's this idea that inflation can fall. So, disinflation is, you know, that reducing inflation from point to point. Mm -hmm. uh, immaculate saying we didn't do anything and it happened or that it's not being driven by interest rate fall. So, yeah, unemployment hasn't increased in the US. Inflation's falling. And it, he wrote a pretty long piece that was all about um, so much of this was driven by, not by excessive aggregate demand, which we assume that the economy is growing too fast. In most cases, aggregate demand is on the same trend or where it was before the pandemic. And then a lot of it was either supply chain or financial speculation that drove most of it. So, it was very much, uh, he was kind of a day before the inflation data came out, he, he published <laughs> this. But he's always that kind of, not contrarian, but considering maybe history isn't always repeating itself, 
uh, and it's and it's you know not the simplest solution that we think it is. Here's an interesting line: unless we continue shocking the system, as shocks subside, this is Larry Summers, isn't it? Inflation should just leak out without causing excessive economic damage, returning us back to where we were in December 2019. Inability to grow and secular stagnation. That's where we were. Everyone forgets where we were. Yeah. We needed the pandemic to have a kick up the economy. Yeah. Uh, which became too much of a kick because we're too much, you know, a, a lot of money at the same time that supply chains were broken completely. So, and what does that mean? Probably there's also a lot of talk that the threat of falling earnings growth in the US and all these economies is that may not actually be as bad as we think and that yeah. these companies are more resilient. We are talking about one yesterday where they increase the discount to customers but increase the revenue line more than the discount so they still <laughs> increase their price. So good companies with pricing power are able to protect mm. their margins. Absolutely they are. Um, anything else topical before we get to questions, Drew? Uh, what else do we have? There was another article that we were sharing around, which was talking about active fund managers. Did you see that I one? I thought you were going to talk about like AI avatars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever you start with an A. Uh, active. So, there was an article, uh, I can't remember what publication it was, but they talked about one in six fund managers failing. And mm-hmm. I can't remember the period, maybe in the next 10 years or disappearing in the next 10 years. One in six? Yeah. As in, like one in six. So if there's ten thousand, you lose one sixth of those. Uh, one in one six of those. You could have gone if there's sixty thousand, you lose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to think. Those. Like, so they're talking about like not just. They're talking about like as an as an industry. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily like one. In, they just go out of business and start somewhere else or something like that. Yeah, as in you're, you're going to see that shrink pool of active fund managers shrink. Yeah, well, it has to happen. Which says there's either a lot and too many, or a lot that are below uh, scale. At the moment. That's not report. just in Australia, but in, in the rest of the world as well. It, would ha- it has to be the case. I mean, you're seeing so much growth in ETFs and passive investing. Yeah. Uh, and you see the Spiva data every year, which makes it challenging uh, for everyone. And it's naturally a question you get whenever we meet a client as well. So, yeah. I thought that was quite an interesting take. I'll share that article too. Yeah, that'd be great because, um, yeah. And I think what thing, one thing that's also happening nowadays is advisors are playing more of a role. Yeah. Whereas in the past, they would just go, yeah, sure, um, that fund, this fund, um, done. And the active fund managers would have- Fee compressions. Yeah, to. would have food to feed on. Um, but nowadays, a lot of the advisors are managing portfolios themselves. Or they're just using directed things like ETFs or listed things where it's easier just to go, we've set this up for you and thanks. Yeah. Or they do the platforms. Like we just already spoke about net wealth. That gives advisors more power. They can do listed securities. They can do ETFs and funds side by side. Whereas in the past, they wouldn't do that. So they just have a, a group of funds usually. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. Did you see the NASDAQ? I Well, I saw it in passing, the rebalancing. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't remember seeing that though. I noticed in your notes, you said it has happened before. I couldn't remember seeing it. I think it's happened for other indices as well. They said in like, what was it, 2011? Yeah. Was the last time it happened? Maybe that was when Apple was a billion? Yeah. Trillion? Trillion? Not a billion. Yeah, I see. I can't remember that. So, basically, they've they've rebalanced the index because these gigantic tech stocks have become such a dominant force 
in the index, they've re- effectively rebalanced the weightings. Yeah, rather than just because all these indices are market cap weighted. So the bigger you get, the more you get, whether it's in the ETFs or just yeah, the influence. bigger share you have. So it said they went up to 43% of the index, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, and Tesla. And now they've cut them back to basically being about 38.5. So I guess a cap on yeah. the balance where there's no cap no. in Australia. So BHP, I think, is 12%. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I mean, it's you start to question the market cap yeah rules index for everything don't you if you if you can adjust it and what this isn't predicting anything but traditionally when they do something like this that sector tanks <laughs> another sector takes over so yeah uh, that's just or maybe that's being too pessimistic about what were the um remember again? when the chinese stock market went a bit um haywire what were, what were the controls they brought in? Were that circuit breakers? Yeah. This is basically Cut, a circuit breaker to the upside. <laughs> too much. Yeah. Too, too much turn tech. No. <laughs> stop. Just turn the light off all the time. Yeah, That's yeah. how you stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it and then everyone's like, oh, well, I'm, okay. <laughs> I'll just do nothing then. I've got a good question for you. Go for it. If you had to take one company out of the top eight companies, S&P, uh, I oh, think the, the S&P US. is more interesting. Like if, if you were- we know how much they dominate, and they've basically driven 98% of returns for the last 10 years. I'll give you the list of eight companies. Which one would you have willingly walk away from? Like as in remove it? Yeah. Facebook. I might double this and go, which one? Meta. Would you? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't given you the list I yet. don't even know if it's in the list, but I probably wouldn't have that in there. It's in the list. Give me the list. Apple, so, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, NVIDIA. And is it NVIDIA or NVIDIA? I always thought it's NVIDIA. NVIDIA. That's how I pronounce the graphics cards. Tesla, Meta. Berkshire. So I have to Berkshire. take it out forever. Yeah, if you if you were holding the S and P, which or if you're holding those eight stocks, holding the S and P, which one would you just out. say wave goodbye to? Well, I, th- I think the reason is Meta has the most uncertainty out of all them because of the name. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's very Meta. But um, and which one would could you not live without? And there's some bloody good businesses in there. Oh, so that's interesting. And how, what's my investment horizon? Give me that one. Give me a constraint. Infinity. No, that's not fair. Well, if it's infinity, I'll go Berkshire. But um, but if you gave me 20 Berkshire's years- Berkshire's holders. Who wrote that article this week? Berkshire's uh, largest holding. They to say Apple. how different Warren Buffett is, but his biggest holding is the biggest company in the world. <laughs> uh, if I go 20 years, Berkshire. Yep. If I go 10 years, the one that I couldn't live without- have to hold it for 10 years, no selling before or after. 10 years, exactly. This is going to shock you, maybe. I'll go Tesla. Tesla? Thanks, Kathy. You're welcome. <laughs> um, that's an out there. Don't go and then buy Tesla <laughs> and be like, you said 10 years, go and buy it. Um, there is a lot of uncertainty in that business. I think the safer options are Apple, Amazon, Microsoft definitely. Yep. Um, like I'd happily hold them. But if I wanted to spice up my life a bit, <laughs> we go Tesla. How about you? Oh, the list, you've got the list in the notes. I didn't even know you had the list in the notes. Um, what about you? If you had to remove one of them, which one would it be? Alphabet, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta. Cut Berkshire. Berkshire. Would you? No, actually, I cut uh, Amazon. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I. Go long Microsoft. So you cut Am- whatever you took out of Amazon, you'd put into Microsoft. Yep. Is that because like this just incredible ecosystem? Microsoft is just building 
I, I, it's hard not to be Apple. Like, look at me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am a wearable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think Microsoft is just killing everything. It will eat everything. Activision, it's allowed to buy Activision now. Yeah. ChatGPT, like literally every part of your life is going to be, I think you can launch your own language models via Microsoft yeah. in the next 12 months. Uh, and that's just the short-term things. I think people trust Microsoft more than they trust the government. Honestly. <laughs> the government trusts Microsoft more <laughs> yeah. than they trust themselves. Absolutely. Like when you go to one of those government websites, you like reset password yeah. and it says, Microsoft on behalf of the Australian government. And you're like, okay, huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably bigger. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Um, so you would probably say you can't live without Microsoft yeah. for the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah. But if I was just going to spice it up, that's why I said Tesla. But okay. So then if you had to pick one, would it be Microsoft? To keep? Yeah, yeah, Microsoft or Apple. Yeah. But I'll yeah. stick with Microsoft. Amazon, I don't know. It just doesn't uh I mean again, I get Amazon Cloud. AWS. Amazon yeah. Web yeah, web services. And then you know I'm not a big Prime Day. I'm not a big Prime Day was yesterday, wasn't online it? shopper. Yeah. Prime Day was two days. Was it two was it two days? Apparently. It's a two day sale, not oh, a one day sale. I just saw the timer when I jumped on the website. I was like, yeah. oh geez, better buy something. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, interesting. Neither of us said NVIDIA. That's just probably not We've surprising. already got a bet on that anyway, so. Yeah. Um, people that I surveyed people this week for self-wealth and 70% of them said they believe NVIDIA will be higher in a year. Yeah. So, yeah. They agree with this. Get on the train. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be. Let's be honest. It could be, but I have no idea. But longer term, it's a good business. I just don't know if it, how XC it is. I was trying to figure that out last night. Actually. No one does. Yeah. No, just buy it. Don't think about it. Um, well, okay. Here's a, I'm going to hi- ask you a hypothetical question. And I don't expect you to just be like straight onto it. But if you could pick one Australian company Ooh. that might have the characteristics of one of these companies 10 years ago. So, like, you know, kind of like steady double-digit compounding for 10 years. Don't think about the valuation. Just think about a company. Not allowed to say Telstra. Not Telstra. <laughs> um, in Australia, that could have similar compounding tendencies. You know, this is a tough one for me because I don't really look you beyond really, the yeah. 50 or the 100 very often. That's why I don't... Exp- yeah. I mean, Monopoly, Control, Iris always stood out. Mm. Their problem is... The Australian financial planning market isn't that big, uh, yeah. so they have to be a more global business. But that kind of stands out as this leading and monopolistic control with a massive commitment to R&D. And yeah, everyone hates using their platform, but everyone yeah. always hates using the most yeah. <laughs> useful platform as well. Uh, that I mean, that's just one I've thrown yeah. together. Okay. Uh, have you got one while I think of another one? I think there are a few names in Australia. Outside would, the 200, though. Yeah, it, pro- yeah. yeah, I mean, well, inside, outside, just as long as it can compound for a long time. I think RPM Global is one of those businesses that could do that. Um, like low double digits for RPM in that like high teens to early 20s. Not zip. No, maybe double digits the other way. Um, <laughs> oh, who knows? Maybe they resurrect. If they're going to do it, That it's good to come off a low base. Um I would say I still think zero could probably go, go close to double-digit returns for the next 10 years in terms of like pro- well, easily profits, but maybe even things like gross profit and that sort of stuff. 
I think maybe something like Altium can continue to do that. I think um, maybe Prometheus, yes, maybe. That's pretty sensitive. Um, maybe businesses like ResMed. You're always going to be tech-driven, aren't you? Cochlear. Yeah. They... What I look for is always companies that have the ability to have good economics, like they scale well, but they also have a natural tailwind. It's hard to see say CSL because you've already CSL's already done it. Yeah, so, yeah. but yeah, it and it, due to sheer size, CSL probably can't do double digits. Yeah, but it could probably do high single digits just with like more volume, price increases, etc. And for people that hold that, like if you've held CSL for twenty years, if the thing is compounding at single digits, you're going to make multiples of your money um i thought it might be newix when i bought it <laughs> that was early days in the australian investors <laughs> i got that i kind of wrote that out of our memory wow what a blast from the past <laughs> we should dig up some, we should about. dig up some gold <laughs> so go back i was talking That's about dubbo you were bringing up newix <laughs> surprise they're still on air <laughs> yeah. um Objective Corp would be another one. Uh, maybe Hub, to be honest. Maybe Hub. I think Hub's pretty sticky, pretty usable. Hub 24. I yeah. think in that platform space, you're going to end up seeing some consolidation at some point. It has from to continue to 14 to, to What's five, already happened with premium and class and whatever. Yeah. So slowly they'll come together. Yeah. Um, maybe Macquarie Group even could probably continue to pull some. And you've got the normal car sales, real estate, all these things, but they were, they were already- running 10 years ago yeah it does show you that there isn't a lot of super global quality companies yeah. in australia doesn't it like well this is the thing i've been thinking about this a lot lately because people are saying this to me a lot now they're looking at these u.s companies got 30 percent a year and they're like 500 billion dollars and i'm like yes we don't have that but maybe at a micro level we do have businesses that are super quality there might not be a deep pool maybe there's only 50 of these names and only 30 of them you want to own but maybe you, you can still construct that style of a portfolio just at a much smaller scale yeah which i think you still can we've tried to do it with that old technology index and stuff that doesn't work out just a bit harder yeah yeah a lot harder but yeah i mean i sound like an idiot when i say this but i feel like the fang thing has been very clear for 10 years that they were going to eat the world yeah, I, I just couldn't see that not happening. Like unless it was regulation, because like the whole world. A lot of people always say digitize. No, there's like there were so many antis the whole way along. Yeah, until they were on the. But now they're all using it. Like, I remember people like, ah, oh, you can't use zero. We mean connected to the internet. <laughs> well, was <laughs> it you? I think it was you <laughs> when we first met you. I was funny. Here's I, I, my spreadsheet. <laughs> Check this out, bro. <laughs> so, anyway, we should probably get some questions. I was going to say that. It's-, <laughs> it's 33 minutes in. Unless you got any more hypotheticals for me, you ready to get into it? I'm good. I might drop another. I mean, there was one really good buy, buy hold, sell okay. I, I bought up, mainly okay, because you're holding a, uh, uh, an iPad. An iPad. I've got it on 400% Zoom. <laughs> Grandpa. <on>. <laughs> Go. What was your uh, point? You feel older than me when you hold an iPad. Oh, no, tell me about that. Mine, I, I got a, this brand new, beautiful laptop. It is crisp. It's a MacBook yeah. Air. 
Just the air? Yeah, the 15-inch Just air. the air. It looks yeah. very slick. Even the people at Apple were excited to give it to me. It was one of those kind of things. <laughs> oh, wow. It looks a lot cooler than my Mac yeah. Pro. My Mac Pro looks like it was built in the 1990s, to I reckon be honest. it's heavier than a Mac Pro as well. It, I reckon it is, but mine looks- it, Mine's made out of plastic. Yeah. That's the new one. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, what's your point? Dark laptops. So, if you look at the top of this screen at the moment, maybe it's dark laptops and children. It's like a graphite kind of color, isn't it? Like a yeah. dark, dark charcoal. I like it. Covered. It's got fingerprints. Fingerprints all over. It's like a dark- If someone buys a black car, yeah. I can't expect the same thing, yeah. but it's cool. It's you really cool. You have to carry cool. a microfiber cloth around everywhere you go. Yeah. What, is, what, what does that set you back? I think it was 2.7. Oh, that's not too bad, actually. Yeah. It's, that's probably better With than everything. Or with like the, the most processing power this thing can fit. Yeah. That's cool. It's a good laptop and you can take that everywhere. You can use it in the office. It's big enough. Yeah. I like it. Anyway, um, welcome to the Australian Technology Podcast, where we answer your questions. If you send in a question and you do have the best question to name, you are entitled to uh, a free pass to the Value Investor Program. If we do answer the questions, they are general advice only. If we use phrases like you could do this and you could do that, we don't mean you specifically. We mean you, the investors of the world, uh, because we don't know your personal circumstances, your needs, goals, or objectives. If you do want to get that type of advice, make sure you speak to a financial planner. You'll find a link to Waddle Partners Financial Planning, the firm of which Drew is a director alongside Jamie, who we mentioned before. Uh, you'll find a form there that you can fill in. It's all automated and the team gets notified when you submit that form. It's as simple as it is to get advice. Otherwise, if you're looking for a financial advisor near you, you, near you use the Money Smart website uh, where you can search for advisors with a license. 1K Conundrum says, Gents, I eat Vegemite every day and love it. Should I drop my one grand into Bega? Insert caveat about general advice. We can't tell you what to do, 1K Conundrum. Drew, thoughts on someone who eats Vegemite then investing in Bega? Assume they're putting that Vegemite on toast. Do they put Vegemite in the fridge? <laughs> not just eating Vegemite. Do, uh, where where I mean, does Vegemite go? Not in the fridge. It's hard I've enough to spread some, as it is. I've seen some people put it in the fridge. No, you can't spread it. It's absolutely outrageous if you ask yeah. me. It's un-Australian. Well, I'll, I'm going to say uh, I've actually made some of my better investments this way, not by eating things and buying them, sure. uh, but generally either listening or identifying something that's happening. You know, when you go traveling and you're aware of what's going on, you pay attention to what's happening around you yep. rather than your phone uh, or your iPad. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, but it's not it's not a trigger in, its, in of itself to buy that stock. It's more of a trigger to go, that's super interesting. What are the investments I can do that are exposed to this? And using it as that, I'm going to steal yours, beginning of that watch list or to pique your interest in that process. Yep. So, I think it's useful. I wouldn't be going out and buying it based on the on the fact that I like Vegemite, but how does it fit in my portfolio? What do the growth opportunities look like? What else does it do? It mm. doesn't just make Vegemite. It makes cheese, clearly. Yep. Um, <laughs> Bigger cheese. And what are the influences on that? Uh, what are the margins you're making on milk and cheese? Uh, so, I think it's a great- you know, you're talking about Benjamin. Uh, is it Benjamin? Graham, goes back it? in time. <laughs> no. uh, like beating the street. That was um. Oh, you're th another one. But basically, the idea is, uh, and I know you've met Angie Ellis a few times. Who talks about it a lot and takes it to another level. But the idea that you invest in things you know. Don't only invest in things you know. Otherwise, you just own Woolworths and Telstra. Uh, but investing things like Peter Apple Lynch. that you work Peter Lynch yeah so it's relatability <laughs> and piquing your interest via things that you know and then doing more research on them 
Yeah, I think- uh, Long way to say no. Long way to say no. Um, buy, hold, sell, bigger cheese itself though. Are you? Do you rate bigger cheese? Oh, the cheese or the stock? No, 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 not the stock. Don't everyone wants to know what kind of cheese you're into? Because do you come from the family? Don't you? Huh? Meredith, <laughs> <laughs> that's goat's cheese. Mate. <laughs> I would buy goat's cheese for days. I tell you what, though. But bigger cheese, I'm not as big of a fan. I mean, we got kids, so the one kids of the love biggest those expenses yeah. we have is cheese. <laughs> Every day, it's cheese, cheese, cheese. One of my favourite meals. Cheese and crackers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had the- uh, Unbeatable. I like the mainland. Sorry to be- I think mainland's New Zealand. Yeah, I think so. Um, mainland cheese and crackers. Yeah. It's my ritual on a virgin flight. Yep. Anyway, um, I wouldn't buy it either, the actual company, because uh, it's just not the type of business I like to own. Shares are down from like, what were they? I just had that up a second ago. Cyclical commodity business as well. Yeah. It's up, it was up near $8 in 2018, and it's now at uh, $3.17 a share. Um not to take too many cues from the share price, but if I look at the income statement for the half year to December 25, 2022, it had $1.67 billion of revenue and a profit of $7.3 million. It's just a tough commodity cyclical business. Yeah. It's fantastic. It Big a, a beautiful place, by the way, as well, I might add. Um, but I just, there's not the type of business that I'm interested in owning. It's just not the predictable kind of annuity style revenue streams that I'm interested in. Not to say that for some people and at some time prices it wouldn't be right, but I agree with you. A lot of people take that Peter Lynch invest in what you know phrase and they just apply it to everything. Yeah. You know, oh Apple, I'll buy that. Oh this I'll buy that. You know, it doesn't work. It's a good starting point, but do your research. Put that on your watch list and then go from there. Some of those businesses are wonderful. Some of them are not like five years ago if you saw kids skating down the street on Healy's Riding the, the wheels in the back of the shoes, that would have been a terrible investment. <laughs> but it might have been cool to watch. So, <laughs> so Healy, I don't know that a name. I'm just guessing because um, it was on the heel. <laughs> Next one, uh, forever the learner, which is a good question actually. With passive Aussie ETFs, e.g., VAS, please explain dividends. When are they paid? Can the ETF holder elect to reinvest the dividends? Yes. Are dividends received franked or? partially or fully franked, does the ETF holder actually own the underlying shares in the individual stocks or just the ETF? If the latter, who owns the underlying shares and what security of ownership does the ETF holder actually have? This is a good question for a few different reasons. Um, I can answer the main part and you can do the ownership part maybe. Oh, sure. Or do you want to go for it? Okay. So, when are they paid? Dividends? Well, however often- it says in the PDS basically, so the quarterly or half yearly <laughs> for most of them. Yeah, I mean the I mean uh, the simple part here is an ETF's a pass through entity. Yeah. So it, you, it owns holds the shares on your behalf, and then the dividends uh, it basically can it doesn't pay tax of itself. It's not a listed investment company. Yep. So any income, and that's not just dividends. So if it's the ASX two hundred, you can have property trusts in there. You can have other other types of structures, but mainly property trusts and uh, franked or unfranked dividends. And all those have to be paid out along with capital gains every year. Mm-hmm. So pretty much all of them will pay quarterly, big, given that the ASX generates, you know, offers a yield of about an income of about 4%. Mm-hmm. But then in June every year, as we've seen, anything in excess of what they paid out, so any realized gains that they made, any unexpected special dividends, all that gets lumped out at 30 June and paid in July. And it includes everything. Mm. So, 
and that's why you get a tax statement in the year where it's it's not just a dividend paid you get it from the from the company it's all pulled up and yep. paid as a like a lump sum of multiple things so you might get some interest you might get some foreign income you might get unfranked dividend a di- frank dividend a little bit of everything but it's just passing straight through to you unlike a listed investment company or just a regular share an ETF needs to receive franking credits in order to pay them. Yep. Um, so sometimes they can be partially franked. Um, it's probably the most accurate description is probably mostly partially franked or like mostly, mostly fully franked. Yeah. Um, because unless every single dividend they receive is fully franked, it can't be 100% fully franked. And it's like a property trust pays a distribution, yeah. uh, which isn't franked yep. compared to a company which pays a dividend. Yep. Uh, and you can do a dividend reinvestment plan or a distribution reinvestment plan. You just log into your share registry and organize that, like computer share, boardroom, link, market services, et cetera. Just in terms of how they're held, um, you are the like the, the owner, the rightful owner, but they're held technically by a custodian organized by the ETF provider. So when they have to go through ASIC and get approval, there's obviously a custodian in place. And the custodian, I don't know who they are for VAS or whatever, but at custodian, typical names might be Perpetual, HSBC, State Street, State Street, Bank of New York. Um, these types of things are big institutions. And literally all they do is they are the custodian. So they are like the place where the money sits. And the custodian can only act based on what is like legally binding. So they bring all the units together into a, the single unit you yep. get. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, and so that's all written up in the PDS. You can actually find out it's a product disclosure statement. You can actually find out who's doing what behind the scenes. It's a good question because a lot of people don't actually know what happens behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all spelled out there. And all you need to know is ETFs themselves don't pay their own tax. So that's why it's all passed back through the end investor. That's why you need that annual statement. Like this time of year, July, you will begin to receive those statements for the ETFs that you own and you can hand that to your accountant. This next one, Drew, I asked you about off-air because as a financial planner, you'll be able to lend some weights to this because I had a debate about this. I won't say where and with who, but they are very well respected in the industry and they caught me off guard and I flat out disagreed and I don't know what's going to happen with that. <laughs> so, and you don't hold a grudge, clearly. <laughs> no. But I was just, it's like when someone says something to you live and you're like, okay, but what you're referencing and the- You know you know it not 100% yeah, certain, but you don't know it's yeah, not- I can't say that it's wrong, definitively it's not wrong. true based on the information that I don't have that you're referencing. Yeah. It's like when someone comes out, according to a study X, Y, Z, and they're like, and what did you think? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't have it in front of me. So I can't tell whether you're right or wrong. Just, I concur. Yeah. Based on what you've said. So, this is the question and it's from, have my kids richer than me? They say, is it generally better to increase insurance in super or get insurance from a separate insurance provider? And they're specifically talking about the life insurance or death insurance and just wondering about the pros and cons because we've talked a lot about you can get insurance inside your super fund. So, the super fund balance pays for it. Yep. There are pros and cons a lot, and we probably won't be able to have time to cover them all just as an FYI, so speak to your financial advisor. But Drew, as a financial advisor, what goes through your mind when you read something like this? I mean, so it depends. It depends. Which is the way it should I mean, always that- be. Um, <laughs> wrong one, but close <laughs> enough. 
It does depend. I mean, I will admit we don't do a whole heap of insurance. We end up cancelling more because most of our clients are retirees rather than uh, accumulators, but we do work with a few, um, like family members and that that sort of thing. Uh, And it depends on what your objectives are, what your income, what your health status and what your job is in a lot of cases. But by and large, the buying power, one of the biggest benefits of industry funds, the buying power is in group insurance and the ability for you or I to walk in and get $2 million of life insurance along with the other 2 million members. Uh, And from what we've seen historically, buying more in your super, wherever that is, not just industry funds, it could be in all different alternatives, generally uh, is a better option than going to apply for a policy outside of superannuation directly via an insurance company. So, you know, some advisors will be a bit pissed off hearing you say that. They will because they have- That's why I said generally. Yeah, generally. And this question was generally. And it does depend on the person too. Because some of the the time what happens is- um, But if you're in a special industry or in a special sector, naturally you're not going to do that through an industry fund either. Yeah. But there are some instances where I'm sure it would make sense to have insurance outside of super. There's probably reasons for that. There are uh, some restrictions around payments from super, yes. And one of the ones is that it's difficult, it's more convoluted to get your money out of super if it's been paid out, like say if they do die. If it's a, mainly if it's a total is it disablement versus life insurance. Yeah. And so there are some limitations, so you should speak to your advisor about that. But I have never come across an instance where someone says it's cheaper to go outside of super. Like it, Neither. So maybe in a like a ca- very few case-by-case basis, but I've never come across something where, and sorry if we're just arguing about something that has no relevance to you, but this is actually really important because a lot of people do hold insurance, in a, like I do, you do as well, yeah. even if you've got an SMSF, but I, I still think the, the pros of having an inside super outweigh for the general population the, the, the pros of having it, like, you know. I mean, the natural cons are the fact that you're putting all your contributions towards pension, essentially insurance premiums, which yeah. is what a lot of people would say. But on the other side, I don't know, in particularly in this environment, I don't know a lot of people, and you don't have to have it through industry fund. You can apply for a normal insurance policy via your super fund separately. Yeah. So you can still use the same advisor or person and do it through that entity. Yeah. It's not an industry versus direct, not insuring. Yeah, uh, I think one of the... Bigger things is where are people like cash flow and cost of living is incredibly challenging at the moment. So I'd suggest more and more people don't necessarily see, you know, they insurance is something. We all have insurance because you never actually see the benefit of it, like pet insurance. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> We're trying to piss everyone <laughs> off today. Uh, no, well, you, pet insurance. You rarely see the benefit yeah. of it. So uh, I feel like that's, not, that's a risk of being cut if you're holding it. Uh, directly, and it's a, it can be a big hit to your cash flow. And naturally, life insurance isn't tax deductible in your in your own name. Only income protection is. Yeah, I um, so a very common thing that happens, at least as far as I know, uh, a lot of people that understand this, they'll have like an SMSF that, so they can control their investments. But then they also have a s- industry fund or a low cost super fund that just basically pays for their premiums, and they just put a little bit of their contributions into that to pay for the insurance, and it pays. The reason they do that is because the insurance is typically cheaper. And you should also speak to your advisor about all the other stuff that comes with insurance, like medicals and that sort of stuff, because there may also be benefits in that regard. If you have something, I'm not going to say what would happen, but if you have something, you should 
consider the benefits of group insurance inside super. And I do think it, it is very dependent on the person, their circumstances, their income. That's what makes insurance so difficult yep. for advisors to give advice on, right? And it could be like it may well be that it is cheaper for a group, massive cohort of people, but you have to know what that cohort is and whether you're in it. Well, that's it. That's what I mean. So there may be instances where for certain people it's worth getting insurance outside of super. Or they're uninsurable in super. Yep. Well, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a good question. Sorry if it, we're on the Investors Podcast talking about insurance. Welcome to the Australian Insurance insurance Podcast. podcast. <laughs> Where we jump down to the next one? Uh, Charlie's Charlie Munger's Glass Eye. <laughs> he has to wear thick. He's got those Coke bottle lenses, doesn't he? He's looking good, though. Uh, I don't understand the accounting behind APA Group. Might be ignorance on my part. How is APA able to pay out a consistent growing dividend when earnings per share has been less than dividends per share since at least 2015? For the last decade, free cash flow per share has been less than or just matched dividends per share. How is this sustainable, especially given APA has lots of debt? Is the APA yield a value trap or is it something else? What am I overlooking? Do you want to explain EBITDA? Oh, yeah, good question. Uh, so, a lot of this is actually quite common. I'm not saying that it's a value player, yield trap, or whatever, anyway. A yield trap, by the way, is just when you buy into a share thinking that it's a good dividend yield and it doesn't pay the dividend and then it just falls. It's got a great yield from last year. Yeah, last And the year. share price is low. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, but the reason people get confused with this, and this happens with Transurban, it used to happen with Sydney Airport, it, used to, it happens with a lot of these asset or infrastructure owning businesses. So, because of the way the accounting schemes work and the tax and everything, it gets quite complicated. So, the thing that you should be focused on, well, in this case, you might want to look at EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax and depreciation and amortization. So, what that basically means is that it's the profit of a firm before the mixture of taxes, before the interest that goes on the debt and before you consider the depreciation. So, the depreciation is just the gradual fall in value of an asset. And in, under accounting standards, you can deduct that from your profit. But it's non-cash. It's non-cash. So, so imagine you have a toll road made out of cement. Yeah. It's going to need work every year and yeah. it's going to be worth less every year at the same time. So yeah. you're portioning that over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, you might spend $100 million on it up front, but that might be split out that cost over 10 years. Yep. So you can deduct $10 million a year or something like that. Um, so- the reality is that you should be focused on the cash flow, uh, and I don't know APA intimately like I used to, but at the end of the day, what they try and do is they try and match cash, cash flow to dividends per share, because at the end of the day, they've already built their pipelines. APA is Australia's biggest gas uh, pipeline owner, by the way. Um, so, it's not- how do I put this without sounding like a, it's legal? It's not unusual. Yeah. I mean, free cash flow after maintenance and, you know, putting back into their business is kind of a fair amount to pay. You know, what else is this company going to use it for? Well, that's it. They own a pipeline. Yeah. And if they're going to start another pipeline, they'll probably just raise debt, to yeah. be honest. They probably wouldn't sell shares or do something like that because debt is actually, for a lot of these infrastructure businesses, what happens is someone somewhere starts out with a great idea, they take risk, they pull it off somehow. And then they go to retire or someone comes and buys them out. And the first thing they do, the investment bankers get in the room and they say, you should buy this with debt. <laughs> and then they just suck all their cash out and put all the debt in. Uh, and then it just stays like that forever. And the, the benefit of putting debt on something like APA is that the 
as a same as electricity grids, is that you're effectively guaranteed a, a rate of return yep. by the government for owning it, whether that's six or seven percent. Which means if you can control your debt, you've got basically a money printing machine. Exactly. So that's why you can you see it with these, you see it with toll roads, anything that's got a really wide moat but doesn't have much growth can do something like this. And their growth effectively just comes from regulated price increases because they effectively are a monopoly. It's a good question. So Drew, here's one for you. Play conspiracy noise, please. Which button is that? We might need to be efficient with these answers. Okay, too. we'll just go, we'll go two more questions. So this one here, mate. Um, play conspiracy noise, please. How to short the Australian economy? Oh wait, this isn't Google. Am I justifiably concerned that Australia has borderline created a parallel plot line to the big short based off banks that don't want the housing market to fall? With housing savings rates nearing lows and household debt nearing highs, construction companies going bust, arguably questionable regulation regarding investment properties, is the only thing holding this all together migration? What a statement slash question. (laughs) Play conspiracy noise, please. I don't know which one that is. I don't know which button that is, Drew. It's got to be it. Yeah. Okay. Close enough. Okay. Yep. I mean, I'm kind of optimistic. I'm this actually pretty happy. very pessimistic. Pessimistic? Yeah, it's a new it's word. It's like this possible, very but it's also optimistic. But this comes up all the time. So, like, fear. We know fear and greed, but fear, by and large, gets all the headlines. It's so much easier to go down the rabbit hole of it's all... Uh, you know, a system built on debt and instruments and yeah. <laughs> it's all going to collapse like the GFC. Everyone thought every, the whole world was going to collapse. Capitalism was over. Uh, I, I'm always wary of, yes, the yes, there's a risk there. And yes, so much of what we do has been linked to lower interest rates. So, the reason property is so important, the reason all these things are so important is because of interest rates falling ever lower. But you're investing, the important thing here is you're investing for 20 or 30 or 40 years, not for what's going to happen in the next five years. I mean, if you thought hmm. this is the end was coming, well, you'd probably just buy gold, crypto and tre- US treasuries. Shotgun shells. Yeah. <laughs> Baked beans. <laughs> just go and watch um, The Walking Dead. It, it's, I think, I mean, there's there's good things to consider here, and but there's different ways to play it within a portfolio without, you know, throwing the- baby out with the bathwater, essentially. Um, yeah. So, I guess what we're saying is we probably disagree generally. <laughs> like, as a, a, the premise of this is like, we agree that yeah. th- these are real risks, but just at a high level, we're probably not out to short the Australian economy. I'm like, there's so many more positive things to think about. Like, global leaders like CSL, BHP, West Farmers, we've got the best commodity producers in the, some of the biggest global mm-hmm. commodity producers in the world. We're one of the biggest producers of things like lithium and Copper and these other important super stable economy got a thriving education system. Technology, you know, no, immigration. No, no, we're not back. particularly bad. We're not particularly great, but we're not bad at either. Yeah, uh, yeah we're not perfect. Healthcare. We're not all property exporters of healthcare. Yeah, and we know rates will fall to save the property market eventually. Anyway, so that's the other risk of this. If you start shorting the Australian economy, you're making an assumption that there will be no reaction from central banks. But as, as soon as anything bad happens. There will always be a reaction. It's not in the interest of the government today to watch the economy melt. No. <laughs> so of anyone. Of any kind yeah. of anyone. So we're not doing great depressions again. You can yeah. tell by the, the last five crises have been finished in shorter and shorter periods of time. Okay. Final question. <laughs> I, like if you're going to short it, just be very careful. 
anyone listening to this, if you're going to take a very doom, like like a apocalypse now type approach, just be very mindful that you could get it wrong. And a lot of people use leverage. They are so convinced and then they hear the opposing argument of optimism, which sounds fluffy, which gives them even more fire in their belly. So then they leverage up with options or whatever. And it's just risky. Okay. I was thinking this question is the final one down the bottom here, Drew. Uh, franking credit to you <laughs> says- oh, Not the family trust one. We can probably cover that one too. Okay. Well, okay, well, okay. Why don't we go- Let's go quickly. Family trust. Low on interest says- Ooh, Good name. There's two questions on a family Firstly, trust. Uh, thanks for all the learning you share. It's been a massive help, both as an investor and someone starting a small business. Well, you're very welcome. If you need a Newcastle guy for the roadshow, I'm clean help. Sold 500 tickets or thereabout, Drew, for the roadshow. Get your roadshow tickets. Only three left to birth. Damn it. They're going to be gone by the time, mate. And I've been invited Chris. to lunch uh, in Adelaide as well. So. Oh, really? Yeah. But there's a lunch. There's a lunch going on. Drew's inviting you. Um, <laughs> not this person, but whoever's in Adelaide. Um, okay. The question is, I'm currently considering the benefits of a discretionary trust. What are the benefits of loaning money to the trust that you are a beneficiary of rather than just getting, rather than just gifting it to the trust? I'm thinking in terms of both the trust and the individual loaning the money. I figure you could loan at an interest rate that requires the trust to pay something so it can guarantee income, but it could be an issue if the trust doesn't make any profits. So they're basically looking to create a loan from the trust. Is that yep. correct? Loan to the trust? Loan to the trust. So the trust has to pay for the money that they're putting in. Yeah. I actually like the previous question before this, but that's fine. I highlighted a part of it. Okay. Uh, wait, wait. Okay. In my, in my exp- <laughs> I'm not an accountant, so I'll be very hot on disclaiming that at the moment. But in my experience, you don't, as opposed to a company, if you're lending money to a trust or gifting money to a trust, you don't necessarily have to have a loan agreement set up for that loan. It'll be carried in the balance sheet and you don't necessarily have to service that loan. Uh, but there are multiple uh, laws that cover the treatment of taking money in and out of that trust. Yep. And you can never take any money and earnings that come out will always be taxed. T- trusts are just passed through entities. Like an um, ETF. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Get expert advice on that. There is a lot of rules around companies doing that as well. Companies just- are very restrictive. Yeah. Uh, trusts, less so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this because was the one that- you- not tax paid. This is the one that you were talking about. Cockford Ollie. G'day, gents. I appreciate the pod. The wisdom and insight has been really helpful finding where I fit in the investment universe. Bold, red, highlighted. The best part is your sense of humor and how you guys riff off each other. Who knew investing podcasts could be so entertaining? That's a one for our friends. That's that's a good one. The ones Thank that you. don't believe. Thank you, Cockford. <laughs> I have a question regarding family trust. I think my question is probably a bit long and specific for the pod, so maybe a general rundown about the practical implication a family trust would be great. I will include the long version below, but I don't expect blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, what is the question, actually? Where does it need? What do I... There's a multiple questions. Yeah. So, can the profits of my company be direct, direct, directly invested in shares through the trust before they are distributed? What do I need to do with record keeping to keep track of personal assets and trust mm-hmm. assets? So... The, the, the profits of the company be directly invested in shares through the trust before they are distributed. There's some complexity here too. It started with the first one, which is the, the trust doesn't hold the assets. They'll be in my name as a trustee. Well, the trustee owns the assets on, on behalf, behalf of the, the beneficiaries or as, as, as trustee, trustee for, for the trust, yep. which is then on trust for the, the beneficiaries. And they're yep. not fixed beneficiaries. They're discretionary. So, the trustee determines who gets any distribution of income every year. And there's no retained profits of a trust. All profits must be distributed every year. Unless they want to cop the worst tax in the world. The top marginal tax rate if you keep it in there, which 
no one really does that. Yeah. Uh, you can naturally, any if you leave money in the trust and reinvest it, it does get treated as if it's coming out and going back in. So it's not this, you know, super oh, tax right. effective entity. Okay. Uh, and then it has added to your balance sheet as a uh, loan to you, I think a loan that goes back into the trust essentially. Uh, the company adds more complexity. So if you're running through a company and you're moving money from that company into a trust, again, we're going to refer to an accountant here. Yeah. Uh, but generally, the money coming out of that trust would have to be paid as a d- dividend and taxed before it goes into the trust. Mm. Uh, or that dividend, if a, tr- a dividend could be paid to the trust, but then the trust still has to distribute that because it's income of the trust at the same time. So you're going to pay, you're not avoiding tax by doing this. Uh, and then you've got a related party loan between a company and a trust because you, you move money into it if, if you haven't paid it as a dividend. Which ba- related party loan basically means disclosure and record yeah. keeping is very important. Any time companies involved, you're starting to get close to Division 7A loans where you have to service the loans and you have to, or you could be considered to have paid a dividend. This is the Australian Taxation Podcast. (laughs) So basically, uh, what Drew's saying is a lot of people use trusts and companies and try to shimmy money between them. Oh, no, that's not a dividend. Oh, no, no, no. That was a, they know this. The ATO is not silly. They know someone's got to pay tax throughout all of this. Yep. So, you better figure it out and you better document it. Um, at, at best, a company is a delaying mechanism for tax and a trust is just a pass-through entity mm. through which you're, you're able to direct where the income goes as long as it's passive income. Yeah. So, there was a full thing here that uh, Cockford Ollie gave to us. We didn't obviously take that into account. So, you should speak to a financial advisor. They've got advice from two accountants by it, se- by it seems, which is good. Um, Unfortunately, most accountants can't give financial advice on strategy and that sort of stuff. And financial advisors can't give the true tax agent advice, but people like Drew here can give tax advice as it relates to the strategy, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Okay. That's a good question. We're going to get a lot more of this. You know why, Drew? Because people are going to see and they're going to be, holy heck, the government is really clamping down on super. I've got to find something else to do. Exactly. And even if you're not in retirement, they're going to be like, wow, I've got to do something else. Okay. Last question. Comes from Franking Credit to You, which is a great name because it plays on the long joke, but also Franking Credits. Who doesn't love Franking Credits? Some of the governments don't love Franking Credits. Well, we still got them. Um, so, <laughs> do you have any good sources, websites, slash indices for the fear and greed indicator of the US and Australian markets? I'm aware of the VIX, but it is. But is this the best guide? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, legends. Well, Franking Credit to You, the best one that I look at in the United States is on the CNN website. Uh, you can just go, there's a link in the show notes, I'll include it. And we are currently at extreme greed. Really? I know. And when we and a year ago, it was at fear. So, there's like extreme fear, but it was at fear. I remember looking at this during COVID being like, what do you mean it's at extreme fear? And now it's at extreme greed. No, this extreme greed is meant to be green lights flashing, mate. Yeah. So, like they're saying- Oh, you should be greedy. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going the other, other way with this. No, well, I, I don't- Because I don't know how to interpret the, the wheel because it's like on one side it says extreme fear. I'm Is that good? I might an iPad. <laughs> I might get an iPad. And see it here. Don't glasses. Extreme fear, would that be good or bad? Because wouldn't extreme fear mean if you're like Buffett- Time to buy. Yeah, time to buy. But then extreme greed, which is flashing green, you would think, oh, everyone's greedy. I better get out of the market. <laughs> But then stock prices are going up. Time to be greedy. Maybe. It's green. It has to be good. And one year ago, it was fear. No, I, I think that means you don't want to buy now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, they're saying everyone's greedy, get out. And then when it's fearful, they say, 
don't get in, but then everything goes red. So anyway, if you can't see what I'm trying to do here, I'm trying to take the mickey out of these things a bit and say that they don't actually make any sense. Because when it said greed, be fearful, was when the stock market ripped. <laughs> so, so I don't understand how to interpret some of these things. Now, the VIX index is what we call, it's an options volatility market. So what it means is it just shows you basically the negativity in options when people buy and sell options based on short-term trading. We don't, well, we do and we don't have something in Australia. You can go to the marketindex.com.au website, now owned by Livewire, interesting, uh, forward slash ASX forward slash XVI, or just Google ASX VIX and it comes up. Uh, and this is, again, just another chart that shows you the volatility. They try and combine a few things like momentum in different charts to try and compare things. But at the end of the day, I think the best method for understanding where the stock market at is at is just looking at like the average dividend yield, some uh, thumb sucks as Drew, like finger to the wind, um, that sort of stuff. The good one, there's one in the US called uh, American Institute of Individual Investors, AAII, okay. which has like a more of an investor sentiment versus a fund manager sentiment. And then the Bank of America Fund Manager Survey, which is in the Fin Review every yep. month or so. It's yep. kind of good, but they swing so much. It's kind of, you just want to be easy breezy. <laughs> easy breezy. We're going to come out with the easy breezy index soon. <laughs> Always in the Watch middle. Watch the space. Um, okay. So, I would just look at, you can go to market index again. I'll reference them, marketindex.com.au slash statistics, and it will just show the average dividend yield and the average price earnings ratio. You can do the same thing for the US market. Just look at the dividend yields. It's more intuitive what it actually means. Obviously, higher dividend yield equals better valuations. Yeah. Higher P ratios equals worse valuations. The average is around about 16. And that's all you need to know, I reckon. So, we're going to choose a question and then give a joke. I vote. I don't know what you think about this. I just like the name, Franking Credit to You. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I think that's a great question to name. So, if you did send that in. Credit to you, Franking Credit to you. Credit to you. <laughs> I see what you did there. If you try that on in Huntington Beach, it would- <laughs> If they catch you, <laughs> that'd be fun. That'd oh, be awesome. Guys. Credit to you. Credit to you. <laughs> uh, and that is it. Frankie, credit to you. Right into us. You get a free value investor program valued at 499 bucks. If you haven't already got your tickets to the Rask Roadshow, you may be a bit late for some of the locations, but Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane, uh, Gold Coast, Port Macquarie, Newcastle. Taralgon. Uh, Taralgon. Rangaratta. Uh, where are you at? Sydney. Uh, come along. Come meet Drew and I. We'll be uh, presenting. We'll be doing Two Cents Live, uh, answering questions from the crowd. Kate, uh, Evan Lucas, uh, all the podcast guys, the, the property guys, at least at one point on the roadshow, basically all of the regular guests or hosts will be attending uh, before a final big blow up in Sydney uh, in October. So get your tickets. We may also be stopping by Canberra uh, for a short uh, bit of a bit of a catch up in Canberra. Anyway, uh Real quick, Drew, you've got to set us off into the sunset. So, let's get on with the joke. I need to prep these a bit better in my defense. My pet mouse, Elvis, died last night. He was caught in a trap. Oh, God. (laughs) What? (laughs) We're not going to do that live. No, not at all. (laughs) But if we did... That would sure bring it. Uh, in my smile. defense, I just Google oh. right at the end and try to find one that isn't inappropriate. Forgot to say this, but you will get, you may get some uh, Waddle Partners merch if you come along yes. to the events. Uh, you may, you will also, if you come to Sydney, you will definitely get a bucket hat. 
Uh, and you'll get maybe trucker caps. There's beanies up for grabs. Socks. There's heaps of stuff. Maybe some socks. Socks. Oh, wow. Do you have track pants? I want to do track pants. Oh, that'd be so good. I don't even know where to get those. Um, okay. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will take your questions. There's heaps of questions coming through, which is fantastic. Please send them in. Andrew, as always, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies. Which, considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, And every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 Rask community members have begun the Rask plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up, or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. 
Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if you want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascore, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the RASC community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that. 
by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000. And hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.